going on family it's your man gb gerard bonner and this is another edition of the faction quick hits i hope you guys are doing well i hope you've had an amazing week so far and that this is gonna help boost you to the second part of your week thank you so much for your continued support of all things connected to the faction be that on the socials instagram facebook and twitter at the faction show or if you're in that space where you are subscribed to this podcast, wherever you're joining us, thank you so very much. It is really, really appreciated. And by the way, we're really excited. I don't know if it sounds like it, but I'm really, really pumped because we've got some really cool news coming to you really, really soon. And so I'll just hold off on that. But trust me, be looking for an announcement in the coming days surrounding the faction. This is going to be some really good stuff. Thank you for all of you who share what we're doing with your wrestling friends and followers. It is really appreciated. We are seeing increases in the amount of people who are checking us out, be it on the socials or via podcast. So thank you so very much. So we've got a lot of news to get to, and I want to jump right to it. Let's first start with the ratings for Monday Night Raw. This week's episode of Monday Night Raw brought in 1.689 million viewers, which is up about 41,000 viewers from last week's show. Now, of course, they went head to head with Monday Night Football. This week's game was the New York Giants against the Kansas City Chiefs, and that brought in nearly 12 million viewers. So it's pretty safe to say that WWE's Monday Night Raw versus Monday Night Football is never going to really be a thing where Raw overtakes the NFL. And it's interesting to note, me being the numbers guy that I am, that you're looking at Raw picking up probably 12% of the viewership of Monday Night Football. So let's keep that in mind as well. Another really interesting number we're going to look at for Monday Night Raw is how they compared to this time last year. But before we do that, let's talk about what was actually on this week's episode of Raw, which kicked off with a big Raw women's title match that saw Bianca Belair take on Becky Lynch. Shout out to Bianca Belair, who just continues to do big, big things. And we are watching the rise of a star. Sometimes in the world of pro wrestling and really in life in general, we don't always know that history is unfolding in front of us. But I think this is a great opportunity for us to acknowledge the greatness that is Bianca Belair. And I'm not just saying it because she is the EST of WWE. I'm saying it because it is being proven across all boards. She is the number one woman in the world of pro wrestling, according to Pro Wrestling Illustrated's PWI 150 list, which they just released a couple of weeks ago. She tops all women's wrestlers. What a year she's had, and she's only getting better. That's pretty amazing. It's also amazing to consider that Bianca Belair has only been in the wrestling industry for five years, and she did not come into the wrestling industry uh, having worked on the independent circuit or being part of a family that was already into the world of pro wrestling. So she came in brand new. So shout out to the Performance Center, but shout out to Bianca for actually making pro wrestling a real thing for her in terms of an aspiration and a goal, and she's worked super, super hard. She's a naturally gifted athlete. She's got natural charisma all of the tools for a real superstar and she's done it faster than pretty much any of the four 
horsewomen of NXT. So shout out to Bianca Belair. We are witnessing a star in the making. So that match kicked off Raw being Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair. Raw was bookended by the WWE champion Big E taking on Kevin Owens, a first time ever match. While it was not for the title, it certainly moved the needle in terms of story because it looks like Kevin Owens at some point perhaps could turn on Big E. We don't know. What we do know is Kevin Owens gave a pretty intriguing promo where he alluded to the fact that he could be in WWE for another three years or another three months. In other words, his contract is almost up and he could resign or he could resign. Either of those are options for Kevin Owens. I don't know what he'll do. I do think he has spent quite a bit of time in WWE going all the way back to 2015 or really even earlier, 2014. So he has spent a good period of time in WWE. He's accomplished a lot. NXT champion, United States champion, Intercontinental champion, Universal champion. He is now the third longest reigning Universal champion behind, of course, Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. So this is an interesting crossroads for Kevin Owens. Does Kevin Owens head over to AEW? Does Kevin Owens stay in WWE? We'll find out in a couple of months. But what we do know for sure is that if he's going out, he's going out with a bang. He's going all the way, pedal to the metal, fighting big matches, much like another previous member of the WWE who recently left. We'll be talking about him in just a few minutes. But before I do, in case you didn't know, and I think this is probably an interesting spin, one of the reasons I love analysis so much is because I'm a math major, went to school for that, got my degree in that, and that simply means you can critically think. So I like to take that and superimpose it on the world of pro wrestling. With that said, looking at these numbers, Monday Night Raw drew in 1.689 million viewers Monday night. Last year this time for the same episode, they drew in 1.656 million viewers. So they only increased 36,000 viewers year over year. So here's what that ultimately means. We thought during the pandemic era where there were no fans in the building that, okay, it was a bad product. We figured that when fans returned, we'd see an uptick in ratings for Monday Night Raw. From what I just told you, there's been no major change. It's about the same, which says to me that fans are not the difference maker for the raw product. The difference maker is the actual content itself. And that's where things are getting interesting for WWE. I think they have forgotten how they moved the needle during the Attitude Era. It was not one specific show that did it. It was the building of show over show content upon content, creation on top of creation that gave us this ultimate shift from WCW to WWE. Now with AEW on the horizon and several billion dollars out there in terms of TV deals, WWE is going to have to figure out how to move the needle. They can no longer use the excuse that, hey, there's a pandemic, so we can't welcome fans back. Now, yes, there is a pandemic, but they have welcomed fans back at pre-pandemic levels. So with that said, 
The real question now is, how will WWE move the needle? And are they committed to the amount of time it's going to take to ultimately change these ratings? For that to happen, there has to be new content. And I'll also throw this out there. It's the other piece we haven't talked about. Looking at what they did during the Monday Night Wars, they were dealing with a two-hour show. And it's much easier to write two hours of content versus three hours of content on a weekly basis. So WWE, Monday Night Raw, and SmackDown, quite frankly, have their challenges in front of them and their work cut out for them. We'll be intrigued to see how all of this comes together. But with that said, congratulations for a brief uptick for WWE week over week and year over year. Now, with that said, the wrestler who went out basically pedal to the metal with a full schedule leaving WWE was John Moxley, known then as Dean Ambrose. He's gone on to win the AEW World Championship. And in fact, tonight he was scheduled to be a part of the Eliminator Tournament in the semifinals against Orange Cassidy. However, all of that is changing as an announcement was made earlier today about John Moxley. That announcement we shared on our socials, and in case you missed it, it came from AEW head honcho Tony Khan, who announced, quote, John Moxley has allowed me to share with you that he is entering an inpatient alcoholic treatment program. John is a beloved member of the AEW family. We all stand with him and Renee and all of his family and friends as he shifts his focus to recovery. He continued to say, John is making a very brave choice to get help, and we're embracing his choice and supporting him however we can. I'm proud to call John a friend, and like many of you, I'm also a fan of Mox, and look forward to a time in the future when he is eventually ready to return to the ring. Until then, thank you for supporting John and respecting his privacy at this time. So let me first join with Tony Khan and the rest of the wrestling industry as we applaud John Moxley for making this all-important decision to really value his health and well-being by going to rehab. It takes a lot to acknowledge that you have a problem, and it takes even more work and more commitment to commit to rehab and fixing that problem. So congratulations to John Moxley. With that said, I will also go ahead and say this. How long did AEW really allow him to have this problem? And when I say allow, I want to be very clear. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be insensitive. But it's very clear that when you have an issue with substance, it is usually not attended to on day one of the issue, right? So it's safe to say that John Moxley didn't wake up today with an alcohol problem, but that's been going on for a while. We don't know how long it's been going on, but certainly he was in the ring last week against Preston Vance, and if you notice that match, he was unusually aggressive. He bloodied this man, and again, it wasn't a hardcore kind of match. He came in, did his business, left. I think a lot of us thought that was part of his personality, and while it might be, it's also got a lot to do with alcohol. Couple that with, if you ever watched, matter of fact, if you watched the premiere episode of Roads to the Top, he actually mentioned in that episode when he was talking to Brandy Rhodes that he was drunk and hung over there at the arena. So while I'm not in any way being insensitive 
or pontificating, or maybe I am pontificating. I am looking at what's been presented to us, and it makes me wonder how regularly did John Moxley show up to work with an alcohol issue, right? And again, I don't want to be insensitive. I do want to say congratulations for getting help. But I also wonder how many people were put in danger when John Moxley got in the ring because of his struggles and battles with alcohol. I'm glad he's getting help. And for many of us, I hope we don't take time to try to figure out how long it'll take for him to get back in the ring if he even returns to the ring. And I say if because we don't know what caused this issue with alcohol. Obviously, he's been wrestling for quite some time. If he can get clean and make these changes, it'll be good for him and his family, which is way more important than what happens with the wrestling business. Remember, earlier this year, he just had a baby girl, right? So he has a lot of reason to get cleaned up for life after wrestling. So I hope that he's able to do that. I hope this uh, goes well for him, and I hope that he takes all of the time that he needs to get better and be whole because I don't know again how wrestling may or may not have contributed to his issues with alcohol so our thoughts and prayers are with John Moxley and his entire family we definitely hope that rehab happens and happens effectively when we return we're going to talk a bit about WWE's pay-per-view schedule and we've got more news surrounding Ring of Honor I've known Dylan since he was 15. I've known what a crazy fanatic he's been. He never just went and played. So what are you doing? Well, you know, I gotta plan the show first. He wants to be the guy shaping. Dylan used to run shows back in his hometown and ever since he moved to Atlanta, I know that he's been really wanting to start his own company here. I had that fear of not being what's interesting in Atlanta. I said, I'm going to start my own wrestling promotion. You need to get in a room with this guy. Because at the end of the day, wrestling had grown stale in Georgia. I'm like, dude, this guy's ruffling everybody's feathers. Dylan learned that I'm impatient, and I announced that we were going to start a promotion 90 days later. And I knew that I had no content, but that I started to see all the things that he was doing. It was starting to look really professional. Gary had stirred up so much shit. We were gonna be the laughing stock of the entire city if we didn't deliver. Perception's reality. How did we get on Southern Honor? What was the process of them walking over there like, I'm gonna do that? I thought, honestly, he was dead. You hear his brain swelling. I literally thought Southern Honor was probably done. You always told me, if you don't like an idea, come up with a better idea. You're telling me you won't listen to the idea? And we're gonna pack 1,000 people! I couldn't wait for an answer from Chris. We weren't sure. No confirmation. Hey, How about that? Oh. The lights are going out here. The first indie show I've ever done in 23 years was with Southern Honor, and now everyone's talking about this company. Nothing bigger than that's ever gonna happen here. Word a few minutes later. It was extremely hard to maintain relationships because I was working with Gary. I don't know that they would go to war for me. They would go to war for Dylan. Finally, this year is going to be mine. COVID. I can honestly say my last match will be here just because Southern Honor is that special to me. So many things that have happened in my life that you could write on paper and it would read as a book. And Southern Honor is just another chapter. As long as there's a been there is a you, there will always be S-H-W. 
All right, guys, it's time to talk about WWE's pay-per-view schedule for 2022. So they've made an unusual move. Normally, they don't release this schedule this early. But according to WWE President and Chief Revenue Officer Nick Khan, he said, quote, since returning to live events this past July, our fans have graciously expressed a tremendous appetite to attend WWE shows. As they begin to make plans for next year, we wanted to make sure that the 2022 schedule and location of pay-per-views were made available to them so with that said i want to share that schedule with you now and see if you notice some of the things that i notice all right the schedule begins at the top of 2022 january 1st the day one pay-per-view happens right here in the atl atlanta georgia then january 29th is the royal rumble at the dome at america center in st louis april the 2nd and 3rd will be a two-day wrestlemania at AT&T Stadium in Dallas, followed by May the 8th, a pay-per-view at the Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence, Rhode Island. Sunday, June the 5th, pay-per-view at Allstate Arena in Chicago. Then on July the 2nd, 4th of July weekend is the Money in the Bank pay-per-view at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. July the 30th, SummerSlam is happening at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. Then on September the 3rd, or September the 4th, there will be a pay-per-view at a location to be determined. And then last but not least, November the 26th, Survivor Series at the TD Garden in Boston. Okay, so a couple of takeaways about the WWE's 2022 pay-per-view schedule. First and foremost, there are fewer pay-per-views on this schedule than in many, many years. You actually have to go back to the late 80s and early 90s to see a smaller WWE pay-per-view schedule. There are, count them, nine pay-per-views scheduled for 2022. I think that's an amazing thing. Over time here on The Faction, we've talked about how WWE has too many pay-per-views in a given year. If you go back just a couple of years when Raw and SmackDown were doing what they do, they were actually having separate branded pay-per-views. So in essence, we were getting at times two pay-per-views a month. So we literally had like one year where there were 19 to 20 pay-per-views. Way too much for us to digest, considering that Monday Night Raw is a three-hour weekly program. So we're basically getting pay-per-view length shows weekly. That's a lot. Secondly, when you reduce the number of pay-per-views, you make them more prestigious. We go back to the days in the late 80s and early 90s where you had firstly WrestleMania, then the Survivor Series, then SummerSlam, then the Royal Rumble. So at one point you had what they considered to be the big four, and that was it. Then we got into the 90s and we started with In Your House happening almost monthly. And before we knew it, we were looking at monthly pay-per-views for WWE. They were great in terms of bringing in finances and sometimes they moved stories. But what we've seen certainly in the last five years or so is not so much. So with that said, I like the idea that there are fewer pay-per-views. Let's also point this out that there is no pay-per-view right now scheduled between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. There's also no pay-per-view scheduled between whatever the September pay-per-view is going to be and the Survivor Series. And the Survivor Series as of right now is the final pay-per-view of 2022. Again, 
smart moves by WWE. We all know that between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, the pay-per-views like Elimination Chamber and like Fastlane were pretty much wasted pay-per-views. They didn't move the needle. They didn't accomplish anything story-wise. We got a couple of cool matches out of Elimination Chamber, but by and large, your big things are happening at Royal Rumble leading us to WrestleMania. So this makes the road to WrestleMania that much more intriguing. It hopefully will translate into great content for Raw and SmackDown. That would be a great thing. Another big, big piece to note here is that this is the most amount of stadium shows WWE has ever done in a calendar year. Count them. Four stadium shows are happening in 2022. That includes the Royal Rumble in St. Louis, WrestleMania in Dallas, Money in the Bank in Las Vegas, and SummerSlam in Nashville. A couple of other things to notice. SummerSlam is earlier than it's ever been. It's happening at the end of July. Money in the Bank is happening 4th of July weekend. And WrestleMania is now a two-day event for the third consecutive year. Now, if you remember, it moved to a two-day event back in 2020 during the pandemic. Then in 2021, it was a two-day event as it welcomed fans back to the product for the first time since the advent of the pandemic. And now I think it's pretty clear to see that a two-day WrestleMania is much easier to digest than a six-hour, one-day WrestleMania. So with that said, another smart move on behalf of WWE, and I've got to credit Wrestle Kingdom, which did it first in January of 2020. Last but not least, it's interesting to note that most of these pay-per-views are happening on a Saturday, beginning with Saturday, January the 1st at the State Farm Arena in Atlanta. Normally, WWE, or at least previously, WWE had made Sundays pay-per-view days, but we started seeing them dance with this idea at this year's SummerSlam. Well, apparently it worked, so most of the pay-per-views for WWE are on Saturday nights. Now, that will be interesting once we start looking at a AEW, because for a while AEW had been doing pay-per-views on Saturday nights, but this year they began moving several of them to Sunday nights. So perhaps part of this move for WWE is to stay out of the way of AEW and also stay out of the way perhaps of other sporting events that might happen on Sundays like the Super Bowl and the NBA championships, etc., 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 However you look at it, I think this 2022 pay-per-view schedule for WWE is gold. It's amazing, and it's the right thing to do. So congratulations to WWE on their pay-per-view schedule. With there being only nine pay-per-views in 2022, are you a bit more apt to head to a pay-per-view? I'd like to know. Hit us up and let us know. As we leave you, we will leave you with an update on Ring of Honor. So in case you missed the news, which we shared both on the socials and on a previous podcast, Ring of Honor has made the decision to pretty much suspend operations for the first quarter of 2022, looking to, as they say, reimagine the product to a more fan-friendly presentation. They're looking to relaunch in April during the Supercard of Honor, which generally happens WrestleMania weekend. So there are a couple of other details that we are aware of now that we didn't know then. First and foremost, Ring of Honor is going to cease operations as a full-time company 
However, in comma, they are not officially done. So that's interesting. Conflicting reports there. In addition, the way that folks found out was via a Zoom call that was designed to explain certain specifics. On that call, there were people from the roster, there were executives, but not everyone from the roster, including some top talent, were present. So many of them did not know about this change until they found out when the rest of us found out. Here's what's also interesting. There are folks who have contracts that are expiring on or before March the 31st, 2022. Those contracts will be paid out for the duration of the deal. Any contracts that extend beyond March the 31st, 2022 will necessitate individual meetings between the talent and Sinclair management, most likely to come to terms on a buyout. Here's what's even more interesting to me, and that is, this talk of reimagining the product and relaunching the product during WrestleMania weekend, but all of your talent has been released. So who exactly is going to show up to the Supercard of Honor? And what kind of card will it be to really be worthy of a WrestleMania weekend excursion? This is interesting stuff to me. Plus, is three months enough time for you to reimagine the product? Truth of it is, they're saying it could be at least three months. That's the wording from Ring of Honor's management. So we could be looking at a longer period of Ring of Honor outside of operations. What does this all mean? Well, I think this is problematic for Ring of Honor. Couple that with this idea that Ring of Honor has their library on sale as well. So if your library is gone, you don't have any TV, and you've released all of your wrestlers, doesn't sound to me like you have a company. Now, there's an interesting tweet that was floating around from Ring of Honor's commentator, Ian Riccoboni, who thanked, of course, Ring of Honor for all that they've done and the opportunity to live out his dream. But one of the things that he said was, I hope I'm a part of of the reimagined Ring of Honor, which says that right now nobody has a guarantee that they will be returning to Ring of Honor in at least April of 2022. This is a scary move. And honestly, I feel like one of the mistakes that happened here is that Ring of Honor had no TV time, meaning no TV spot on cable that people could all congregate once a week. Instead, they took advantage of being owned by Sinclair Broadcasting, which has a number of syndicated stations across the country. So that meant their product was coming on at random times in random markets, and you couldn't find the product. If a wrestling fan can't find the product, they're not going to watch. That's pretty simple. That's not a reflection of content. That's a reflection of a bad deal. Here's the other thing that's interesting. Ring of Honor still plans to air content, but the content that they'll be airing is old content. So you're going to be getting archived episodes of Ring of Honor in their television spot while they are reimagining their product. Is that good or is that bad? I don't know. I don't know what this does for the Ring of Honor streaming service. Obviously, if you're selling the library, then there won't be anything for the service to stream. I think this is all being managed really, really badly. And here's the bigger question. What happens to the Ring of Honor stars that end up getting picked up 
elsewhere. You've got to imagine that Jonathan Gresham, Bandito, Jay Lethal, and so many other talents on Ring of Honor, Trisha Dora, Shane Taylor, and Shane Taylor Promotions. There has to be a home for them in any of these other organizations, be it WWE, AEW, the NWA, Impact Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling. There's got to be a home. In fact, some of them, like Brody King, have already been working in New Japan. Perhaps they dedicate more time there, of course, on the American side of New Japan Pro Wrestling. I want to get your thoughts on what you think is going to happen with Ring of Honor, what you think Ring of Honor should do, and do they actually return in April of 2022? Let us know on the socials, at The Faction Show, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We've got some Big news connected to the faction coming out in the coming days, so be on the lookout for that. I'm really excited, and I'm doing my best not to let the cat out of the bag, but I think you guys are going to enjoy this piece of news. Couple all of that with tonight, you got AEW Dynamite. Tomorrow, you have Impact Wrestling. Friday, you have SmackDown and Rampage, and that continues what should be a very, very busy time in the world of pro wrestling here in the month of November. But for whatever's happening, we've got your news, so stay connected to us on the socials at The Faction Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Remain subscribed or subscribe to this podcast. And uh, yeah, exciting days are ahead. Until next time, family, representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray. My name is Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction. I